Hello everyone. Welcome to my show Career Startup Podcast, a podcast to spotlight Asian entrepreneurs and interesting allies that I meet in my life. Today I have with me Melissa Frackman who's joining us from Washington DC here in the US. Hi Melissa. Hi Priyanka, it's so great to join you. Thank you Melissa. So my guest for today, Melissa, is passionate about fintech, especially in India, and is focused on how to impact the lives of billions of people through local innovation and global collaboration. Fintech investor and entrepreneur Melissa Frackman has wonderful insights that she is going to share about the fintech ecosystem in India. She has over a decade of experience building businesses both in India and the US and she loves connecting ideas across the worlds. She's also the founder and the managing director of EMVC, which we'll talk more about. With over 15 years of experience on the ground, including building products and partnerships for unicorns and fortune finder companies, Melissa has been named on the Global FinTech Power List and the India FinTech Awards. Melissa, it's an absolute honor for us to have you join the show. Yeah, thank you so much. I uh, really have admired the work you do in the DC ecosystem um, and the tech community here, and it's great to reconnect. Thank you, Melissa. So today for our listeners, with Melissa on the show, we're going to decode three major things. One is the fintech landscape in India. Two, what are the three traits that Melissa looks for when she wants to invest in startups? Three, what's the impact of COVID-19 on the startup ecosystem? And she has a couple of deals during the lockdown as well. So let's get into the secrets behind, you know, what entrepreneurship uh, you know brings about and a lot of other things that Melissa is willing to share with our listeners today. Great, let's get started. So Melissa, you live here in Washington DC, but you also shuttle between DC and Mumbai. So as someone who's very familiar with the Mumbai traffic, how do you see the contrast between two cultures and the infrastructure? Uh between Mumbai and DC there's frankly no comparison. I mean Mumbai is a, a true um absolutely large metropolitan city there's no comparison in terms of size mumbai maybe could be compared to new york but they're both sort of their own environments on their own as well um and even within the us uh we work across the us with partners silicon valley chicago texas even in north america in mexico and canada etc um and in india uh we work primarily in bangalore and mumbai but um with partners and entrepreneurs around the whole country so i'd say you know the cultures are vastly different it's they're both complex enough and in particular india is complex enough that it's almost impossible to make grand sweeping comparisons um but to your point about traffic um i think bangalore and mumbai stand unparalleled as a world leader in terrible traffic um we were all sort of humored to understand that even during lockdown when cars were basically banned from being on the road there still was famous bangalore traffic um and we already were a globally remote team um and so our team is across india and we're able to still work with entrepreneurs extremely hands on across time zones uh, online and look forward to getting back on the road when travel resumes thank you melissa for sharing those interesting insights Now let's look at the state of fintech in India. 
So India's digital payments market, according to a recent report by KPMG, is predicted to be valued at around 4,000 lakh crores by 2023-2024. And as we mentioned, even with COVID-19, fintech investments are on the rise. So Melissa, as somebody who has deep roots working with Indian entrepreneurs, how do you see the state of fintech in India? So fintech in India has been exciting for many years, even before we termed it fintech. Um, there's been this really exciting digital trajectory of the Indian economy over many years, um, even starting around 1991 with sort of historic economic reforms that happened through the implementation of India's biometric ID, Adar, and then all of the things that were built on top of that, the IT boom of the 90s and all of the talent um, and tech that came out of that to India going from really a services hub to being a really product driven leader in the global economy. There are many fintech products, um, business models, distribution models, um, proprietary technology that's being developed in India that's far ahead of the rest of the world in many aspects of fintech. Everything from digital payments, digital banking, retail asset management, insurance, etc. Um, and it's booming. I mean, truly the caliber of entrepreneurs, uh, the caliber of iteration and design and product development that's happening in India right now across the country is truly unparalleled. And we believe that it's an extremely exciting moment um, for founders to be building in this space in India. Um, and it's an exciting moment for global fintech uh, companies and investors and the ecosystem to even be looking at India for partnerships, market expansion, et cetera. So you mentioned that it's an exciting moment for entrepreneurs to be in the financial services and technology space. What are three challenges that you see for entrepreneurs in this specific domain? I mean, there's entrepreneurship has unlimited challenges, but also unlimited opportunities. So it's hard to narrow down to three. Um, I think a challenge for fintech entrepreneurs in general is that um, it's a highly regulated industry. And so to build meaningfully and move the needle forward meaningfully in the space. You're operating in a, an environment where you, you know, the barriers to entry are a little bit higher than in other spaces and you can't necessarily just kind of hack your way to a viral product. You have to work very closely with um, banks and the legal systems, et cetera. And that takes a certain kind of patience as an entrepreneur when all you want to do is move fast, fast and break things. Um, two, in terms of the, the global market, um, in India, there's there's um, no lack of consumer startups that are um, scaling very fast, but continue to pivot with their business models. And so, an interesting challenge, and it's a it's a good problem to have, is that they have to be just at the absolute top of their game in every detail of the product that they're bringing to market for consumers, because consumers have spoils of op options uh, to use. And so products are sort of converging around similar ideas, which makes it a very fast paced and competitive environment to build. Relative, for instance, to other countries where the FinTech trajectory has been a little bit less developed. Um, and finally, I think it's, it's not talked about as much, but, but FinTech requires really good marketing, whether your customer is a small business or a consumer. Um, financial services on their own are not sexy, they're not cool. People aren't gonna gravitate to downloading a new app unless you have really great brand and marketing for them to understand why it helps their life. 
So either massively convenient or massively well-marketed um, and hopefully a combination of both. You know, definitely in a consumer-driven market, you have to appeal to the consumers as to why they need to use your specific service, right? Because they have tons of options to choose from, which brings you to an interesting topic that I wanted to ask you. You know, I grew up in Chennai, uh, Melissa, and I came to the, the U.S. a few years ago. So growing up, I saw, you know, how my parents invested, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the retirement funds or, you know, ways to secure a future for us. And now as a digitally savvy millennial, my choices are very different. You know, the way I look at financial investments is, is completely a paradigm shift. Now, you spoke about, you know, products being uh, commoditized and India being a product hub rather than just a service hub. How do you think products are being commoditized to appeal to both ends of the spectrum, be it the legacy savers like my parents, as well as, as, well as digitally savvy, you know, uh, the millennial generation? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's several aspects of that. One is that India is super diverse. Um, the consumers in Chennai, even the millennials in Chennai, are completely different users, and their profile of what they like in a product and what they're going to use is completely different than the millennials in Chandigarh or in uh, Surat or anywhere else in the country. And so, in general, um, the way the ecosystem is developing is that founders either are taking sort of a national approach and going very large and, and scaling, usually fuel, fueled by capital, um, to be able to tackle a pan-national problem, or uh, they're hyper-localizing in certain geographies and really catering to a specific market segment and geography uh, within the country. Um, digitally savvy millennials who are already online are a great market um, to experiment, move the needle forward. Um, we're seeing a lot of sort of neobanks and personal finance management PFM apps pop up to serve this digitally native population with really innovative new credit savings products. Um, but there absolutely is so much room to improve the lives of sort of um, the generations that are middle-aged now and continuing to age. Um, we're very bullish at EMVC on opportunities for sort of savings and retirement products um, and how that whole market is evolving. And digitization is affecting everybody. Um, for several of our portfolio companies, their target demographic and who is using their product are sort of head of households, often men in the community over 50, um, who, who kind of own a lot of the household spend in tier two to four cities. Um, and most of sort of the parents' generation and even grandparents' generation are at least aware of what Paytm is. They have Google Pay on their phone now. They know what their UPI number is. Um, and if at very minimum they're logging into their bank account now to check what's going on as opposed to the old school passbooks that State Bank of India was famous for. Um, as another example, digital gold in India is becoming a very large thing and sort of leading the world in terms of innovation around digital gold because Indians love gold as a savings mechanism and that's another way to bring sort of digital innovation to the older generations. Those are fascinating insights, Melissa. And my dad uses Paytm. You know, whenever he has a bill to pay, he's like, hey, there's Paytm and he has this app downloaded. And I was pretty surprised, uh, you know, as to how consumers are really adapting irrespective of the generations that they belong to as well. And the other point that you mentioned about gold, you know, having grown up in the Indian culture, gold is seen as a secure investment for the future. And now I'm, I'm really impressed that people are comfortable with the idea of digital gold 
which uh, which is a shift in the mindset. You know, that's a challenging uh, aspect as well. In every aspect, you know, everything from health insurance to life saving, pension, even to elder care. Um, it's it's truly sort of across the board. And I think uh, maybe I'm jumping ahead to something you wanted to talk about, but COVID has accelerated some of this digitization and digital adoption. Um, because even if people were already starting to accept these things and use them, um, being in a lockdown environment where there really was no way to walk to your local bank branch um, or to go to your local Kirana mom and pop store to buy your food and groceries accelerated a whole nother kind of cohort of users that wouldn't have been comfortable with their digital journey. Um, and so it's interesting to see how and why and how much that will stick. No, that brings a very good point, Melissa, in terms of a pandemic or a global crisis that really shifts consumer habits and lifestyle. Yeah. You know, that's pretty amazing how people all around the world are quickly changing their mindsets to get what they want. So let's talk about COVID, given that you mentioned about it. Um, how are startups and venture capitalists navigating the tough economy? And congratulations. I know you've done a couple of deals during the lockdown as well. So tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, thank you. Um, we haven't announced the investments that we've made during this past sort of COVID period, but we have been very active in the market. Our long-term conviction in terms of the opportunity in the Indian market and the fundamentals of the economy remains strong. Um, and we're excited to partner with founders that are building things for the long run that we believe are very durable uh, and bringing a lot of of development to the market and, and improvements in the lives of their consumers. Um, you know, India is still going through, as at the time of this recording, an extremely challenging time with COVID. We're nowhere near sort of out, out of the waters um, in, in terms of cases and deaths and, and spread of the, of the virus. Um, and so, of course, with the health and economic crisis that that brings, there are many challenges. And it would be um, really insensitive to talk about kind of how great business is without realizing that the most important thing is that the country heals and that the population is able to kind of get the vaccine and, and support that's needed to get out of this, this health and economic crisis. Um, that being said, um, the venture and tech ecosystem continues to move forward kind of at a very similar pace to pre-COVID levels. Founders in India have just so much hustle and so much grit and resilience um, that they are heads down, many of them working from home, many of them with teams that have gone back to their hometown, so they're truly remote across the whole country, north, south, east, west, um, and they're building and shipping new products and features and raising new follow-on rounds, um, et cetera. And so it's very exciting to see that those things are still happening. I think with a very realistic lens too, it's not that people have blinders on about the reality on the ground, but um, anyone who's in the market with kind of long-term sticky capital, which is what private equity and venture capital is, um, believes in the trajectory of the country through these sort of ups and downs that are inherent in, a, in an emerging economy and through kind of challenges like this. And we believe that um, the companies that emerge from this will be even stronger. That's very true. And I'm glad you focused on uh you know, a very bullish attitude in terms of how the country as well as entrepreneurs are going to pull themselves out of this rut and come out stronger and more healthier as well in terms of, you know, how businesses are being run too. 
Yeah. So speaking of hustlers, tell us about the idea behind EMVC. And I know you're a strong proponent of creating international strategic partnerships for Indian startups. So tell us more about EMVC. Sure. So um, as mentioned at the beginning, we're an early stage venture capital fund um, investing sort of pre-seed to Series A um, in really exciting breakthrough companies um, in emerging markets that are fintech, both consumer, enterprise, um, and B2B. Uh, and really with a strong focus on India, because we have a fundamental belief as part of our thesis that India really is leading many other emerging markets in fintech. So we look for companies and products that are both scaling rapidly in the domestic market uh, with a net positive impact um, for the users that they serve um, and also have relevance in global markets, which means whether the companies themselves scale to the US or other international markets or uh, their tech is sort of adopted in global markets. Um, either way, we're very interested in how that connectivity happens. Um, I've worked for many years with some of the largest corporates, um, MNCs, as they say in India, multinational corporations, um, family offices, institutional investors in the US, thinking about, and fintech companies, thinking about their India strategy, market entry partnerships, uh, et cetera, have led operations um, sort of in the US-India corridor in both directions and worked on policy initiatives around the financial services space in both sectors. And I saw that there was, um, you know, a lot of cultural connectivity. There's a very vibrant, brilliant Indian American community in the US. Um, there's obviously many Indians that are leading US companies in the US technology sector. Um, and there's a lot of Indians that, that study in the US and go back to India uh, to build companies. But that all of that being said, um, these really interesting ideas that were being germinated in India that truly were sort of pushing the needle forward in terms of various aspects of fintech um, were being missed by some of the largest global companies in the world, in the US and, and otherwise, um, because they typically wait till companies get very large uh, to do partnerships and, and scale. And yet so much of the interesting action of innovation in India is happening at the earliest stages. And so what we do is we bridge that gap by jumping in with a very focused kind of global strategy with India at the center, make very early stage investments, and we are extremely hands-on partners with the founders in which we invest um, as sort of their eyes and ears to help with some of these global partnerships, help pull in the best minds in the world on the various specific verticals they're working on, um, build sort of new initiatives and projects with them. Um, and also even in the Indian market, sort of help be a very subject matter focused partner for them in FinTech alongside many sort of blue chip, large global funds that are sector agnostic and generalist. I really like the idea, Melissa, of EMVC, you know, focused on early stage investments because, you know, you need to pick on these entrepreneurs at very early stages to give them the right kind of, you know, uh, tools and guidance to achieve and, you know, become the next big unicorn in India. So I'm, um, and I see you as someone who's a visionary in terms of being laser focused in picking the right entrepreneurs to work with and bringing together the best of the minds in the world who could 
uh, elevate them to the next level. Thank you so much. Really, that, that means a lot coming from you. And we are extremely bullish about the our portfolio companies in our portfolio and some of the founders that we're working with in the broader ecosystem. I mean, they are just terrific and building things that, that really are um, globally leading. Uh, so very excited to be doing what we're doing. Now, let me ask you this, Melissa. You're very passionate about uh, you know, working with entrepreneurs and helping them succeed. Did you always dream of being a venture capitalist? And how does it feel being a women venture capitalist in, in India? I don't know, because I don't know the other option. Um, in terms of the second question, um, no, I didn't always dream of being a VC at all. Um, I always dreamed of deli well, delivering results. I mean, I really am sort of outcome oriented. And I, throughout all of my work, have been fortunate to be part of these really exciting projects um, in the US-India corridor and sort of right in the room where the action is happening in terms of kind of the future of financial services in the country. Um, and I've always wanted to just kind of keep moving the needle forward. So it's it never was one specific goal. It's always been uh, just a desire to kind of help be additive, um, be very high sort of signal to noise in terms of the work um, in a very kind of focused way and keep moving forward. And India has always kept pulling me in. I mean, I first went to India very early pre-university in my life. It was not an immediate obsession. It was more so that just one thing kept leading to another. Um, and this, this broad sort of thesis, even in my life, of seeing how this digital story that's unfolding in India is one of the most exciting economic stories of our generation has really driven me in terms of what I've wanted to do. That's very amazing. That's very amazing. Now tell us this, uh, have you ever had a low moment in your career? Um, I mean, of course, anyone who says that they haven't is lying, right? Um, I think the lowest or most challenging moments in my life have been um, in operating roles when I've had to kind of make tough calls in terms of letting go teams because of part of broader business strategies. Um, those are always, I mean, literally the worst days of work ever. Um, and there's been a few of those. I'd say those are really kind of the lowest moments, particularly when the people involved are just terrific. And it, it really is more of a kind of macro strategy change than anything else. Um, those are the hardest because uh, I really value the people that I work with and have been fortunate to work with awesome people. And so whenever there's changes around that, sort of the intersection of um, what's best professionally and for the company versus just wanting to see what's best for like terrific people is always an, uh, a, low, a low day. What do you say to yourself when you have such low moments in order to keep your drive going? No, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I just keep the big picture in mind. And um, I feel that as long as I'm working sort of with integrity and very direct with people um, and a, a clear communicator and, and always have kind of the best objectives in mind and try to balance everything, that's the best that anyone can do, right? Everybody's always doing their best. Very true. And that's very inspiring, Melissa. Do you have any parting thoughts to our listeners before we wrap up our episode? Um, no, I mean, I'd say that if you're listening and you're in the US tech ecosystem, um, consider some kind of 
consider checking out India um, and seeing what you can do with, you know, one of the hundreds of extremely talented startup teams uh, that are working there. There's so much to do. Um, we are very happy to chat with you and explore what might make sense. Um, and there's some great journalism and online resources uh, to learn more and start to build that awareness, even if you're coming at it blind and you don't have um, any context for what's happening in Asia. Otherwise, it's uh, the world is kind of getting smaller, especially with all of our online resources. And so there's no reason to really kind of expand your team and expand your partnership horizon and your business development horizon um, beyond your local market and excited to kind of continue this work and engage with um, Priyanka, your, your networking community with this, this podcast and uh, the broader ecosystem. Thank you, Melissa, for this wonderful nuggets of wisdom. And Melissa, personally, I see you as one of the finest venture capitalist visionaries who's focused on, you know, bringing the best of knowledge and strategic partnerships to the Indian ecosystem. So kudos on such wonderful work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now to our listeners, the three key takeaways with our podcast uh, with Melissa Frackman, one of the, uh, you know, the finest venture capitalist visionaries focused on India and fintech ecosystem. One is keep pushing the needle forward no matter what and always have the bigger picture in mind. And two, as a startup, as an entrepreneur, the three things that you need to have is A, patience, B, in a consumer-driven market, you got to be absolutely on top of the game. And three, focus on marketing. And three, and the most important of all, irrespective of COVID and the global pandemic that's happening around us, India's ecosystem is still accelerating. And so if you're an entrepreneur out there, stay true to your vision and you know, start networking with like-minded people like Melissa, EMVC, uh, her portfolio of companies to get the best for your companies and bring a real impact to our audiences globally. So thank you so much, Melissa, again, for joining us on our show. And we are truly honored that you took the time amidst your busy schedule walking across different time zones to be with us today. Lots of different time zones. Thank you so much, Priyanka, for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And to our listeners, this is your host, Priyanka Komla, signing off from Career Startup Podcast, a podcast to spotlight Asian leaders and interesting allies like Melissa. Until another interesting episode with our Another interesting guest, we have a fun lineup coming up soon. Subscribe to our Career Up Startup podcast on YouTube and all other podcast streaming platforms and follow us on our Twitter and LinkedIn channels. Thank you.